So the question I want to ask, and don't worry, it's not one of those exercises. And the question I want to ask is, how are you doing? How has it been this first day? Has your mind made any conclusions about you, about this place? And what I'd like to reflect on tonight is begin to look into this theme of the retreat of coming home, what that means in terms of spiritual practice, in particular Buddhist practice, and pick that up tomorrow. So we'll be kind of hopefully beginning that theme tonight. And the theme of stopping, stop. Stop. <clears throat> so I want to read this little piece to begin by Stephen Batchelor, who's one of the um, guiding teachers here at Guy House. And see if this fits your experience today to some degree. He says, the Buddha described his teaching as going against the stream. The unflinching light of mindful awareness reveals the extent to which we are usually tossed along in the stream of past conditioning and habit. The moment we decide to stop, which is, I don't know if you knew you decided to do that, but that's what this is. The moment you decided to stop, And look at what is going on. Like a swimmer suddenly changing course to swim upstream instead of downstream, we can find ourselves battered by powerful currents we had never even suspected precisely because until that moment we were largely living at their command. Right, so we stop. It's what you've done here. Doesn't mean the mind stops, as probably you've all noticed. We stop. There's this emphasis on mindful attention, even if you're not sure you know what it means yet. Right? There's a way that we can't get away from seeing. Wow, I stop. And there's this momentum. Was that there yesterday, we wonder? I'm sure I was a a nice person before I came here, and suddenly I've got this crazy mind that I'm dealing with. And it's precisely because we're stopping. This mindful awareness reveals those things that we're normally led by. We're normally um, driven by, actually. So it's not always easy, particularly on the first day. In fact, it's often not easy on the first day. But this isn't the whole story. This is the the difficult and courageous noble act of stopping, of daring to stop, daring to, to, to feel that call we sometimes notice, like there must be something else other than just being battered by the currents of this mind. And there is. 
There is, and probably some of you also know that and have had glimpses of that or open to that. (coughs) So I just want to put that bit on pause for a moment and ask you about this theme of home. Coming home. So I was reflecting on it. What home signifies in in its best possible sense, right? When we say, yeah, I'm really at home, or I long to be home, or I'm dying to go home, or I just want to be at home. What is it that the home represents in that moment? What is it a synonym for, actually? And I feel like I've asked you enough questions today, right? But I really want to know, actually, what is that? What, what are the synonyms for you that come together with home? Anyone willing to call some out? Okay, lovely. Comfortable, safe, relaxed, and be yourself. It's got four of them right there. Yeah, anything else? Peaceful. Peaceful, yeah. Home where I can kind of kick back and rest and there's peace in that yeah anything else sanctuary. Hmm? sanctuary sanctuary from anything in particular just a sanctuary like a be- does that mean like a beautiful place or a place that's free from harm or yeah yeah it's both isn't it so the place where you come home to yourself so there's something about yourself that's there. You come home to yourself. That's got to be in it somewhere. Yeah. It's where your heart takes you. Uh-huh. So you feel led by the heart yeah. toward home. Okay. Yeah. Where everything fits and nothing's out of place. Okay. Yeah, where everything fits. Nothing's kind of discordant or discon- uh, not consonant. It's all harmonious in a sense, yeah. Just breathe as you hear all these. See how they affect you, how they impact you, hearing these uh, associations. Yeah, any more? I've, we've missed out. Somewhere where you're known. Aha, uh-huh, you're known. So recognized or... Understood. Understood. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, there needs to be understanding in home. Place where different lives intertwine, uh, not always harmoniously. Okay. Intimately. Intimately, not necessarily harmonious, don't necessarily fit, but they intertwine nonetheless. Okay. Love. There needs to be love for you at home. Yeah. Acceptance. Acceptance. Okay. So, has that happened today? Right. There may have been moments of that, glimpses of that, or times where we have abided in something close to that. But as Stephen points out, when we stop, like we have to stop to come home, 
But when we stop at first, what we notice is all those currents that are kind of pushing us on, promising home, right? If I just think about this a little bit more, if I just sort out this problem with my boss, if I could just... Have you had any, any of those today? If I could just, I don't know, sort out this dodgy knee, if I could... Then, and always, with all those promises of home that always take us into the future, the promise is, when I get that sorted out, then I can rest. Then I can give up. Then I can accept. Then I can breathe out. And from the perspective of practice... The Buddha's teaching actually is very radical. He is pointing to a way out of that momentum that keeps us always looking for home, always looking for the right experience, the right person, the right meditation, the right... Always looking for that, but always left wanting. He's pointing to a way out of that which could be called home. Sometimes referred to as this teaching is a a teaching, a path of happiness that leads to the highest happiness. And the highest happiness is peace. Where we can give up the craving and the promise that is out there somewhere in the future, but always busy in the momentum, always tossed by the currents. So where do you go to for home? Where do you go to for that refuge, that sanctuary? And from... The un, our untrained minds, and we all come with untrained minds, you know. Right? But from this untrained mind perspective, we're seeking for that, that release, that home, that sanctuary. And we seek in the only place we know where to look. And where is that? The only place, okay, so there's, I want home, where do I, where do I find it? Where do I get it? In the heart. In the heart, maybe. Yeah, in the heart. And then how do we go about that? How do I know when I found home in my heart? How do I know when I can finally rest and kick back and say, ah, arrived, done, finished? Right, we have to get here. We have to be here. It's great you're all trained to answer questions now. It's wonderful. (laughs) It's great. I love it. (laughs) I much prefer to do it that way. It's really lovely, actually. So feel free to keep chiming in. Yeah, we have to get here. And then when we get here, we turn to spiritual practice, we get here, okay, so how do I make home here? I know it might have something to do with the heart. Okay, how's my heart doing? Well, doesn't feel like home yet. Right? Oh, oh, that feels like home. There's a, a loving feeling, an opening, a, something beautiful arises. Oh, great. Home. Ah. 
And then we walk into the corridor out there, feeling like we love everybody at Gaia House. Fine, fine, I'm home. And then one person looks at us with wonky eyes or doesn't look at us or whatever it might be. And it will be different things for all of us, but something happens and then we're ejected from home. We're ejected from what we, where we thought we'd arrived, where we thought we'd landed. You know, somebody looks at me strangely or doesn't look at me the way I want to be looked at or doesn't look at me at all. And then what happens? Faster than lightning, our mind gets busy with it. And the love's gone. And it may be replaced with a disappointment or a longing or a disgruntled or confused or hating. And not only that, we don't really see that, we see the story build, right? The story builds. Why does she look like that? What have I done wrong? God, I bet they're all going to look at me like that now. Is, is there really something wrong with me? You know, so. And the story starts building and building and building. And one minute ago, I was full of love. Next minute, I'm off. I'm gone. So in terms of feeling, I mean, there is something crucial about the heart in this question, but in terms of feeling, that can change. That isn't actually a reliable refuge even. And we keep looking, we keep looking. Okay, maybe I make my refuge in my meditation. I get home here. Okay. So she says, breathe in and breathe out. Okay. It's not working. I don't feel at home yet. Or whatever it is we're looking for, there's no peace yet. Come on. doesn't work. Mind starts building. Oh, maybe, the, maybe you know, I can't. Maybe I'm the one person out of the fifty people here that, that can't do this. You know. We don't immediately find the satisfaction, and off we go again, searching, looking for something else, looking to make our home in our minds, in uh, the way we make meaning out of things. Has your mind today tried to make meaning out of your experience? Making conclusions about yourself? And if we hang around long enough, we'll see that those conclusions keep changing. You know, at six o'clock it might be, yeah, I don't know, let's say you sat till... 5.15 and it was going really well. It was really quiet and felt like, a, felt like a refuge, felt like an abiding, felt like home for a moment. Just one breath. There you were, right to the end and ah, some release. And then the mind gets busy with, oh great, this is it. This is it now. Okay, so let's look in the Guy House program, see when the next retreat is. I'm coming. I'm signed up. This is it. This is my new home now. Right? really excited, carried away, forgetting to be here. We're just in the story of it, building our future career as a meditator. And then we come in here, sit at 6.45. We're tired, we're grumpy. 
don't even remember about a breath, wonder what I'm doing here, open my eyes. Everybody looks upright and gentle except me. Right? And there goes the story again. Yeah, I'm useless. I can't do it. Don't want to do it. Didn't want to do it anyway. And whatever way our mind goes, whatever are our familiar tracks, whether it's through more defiance or disappointment or moving more to the collapsed position or the angry position. It's not reliable. This mind, it can tell us anything really. So we try to find the refuge and the home in the only place we know how to look, and that is in the realm of experience. We're trying to make home, find that security, that place where I can kick back and give up, rest. We're trying to find it in experience. It might be inner experience. It might be outer experience. It might be my house, my physical house, trying to make that my ultimate refuge and there's nothing wrong with having a physical house but if I'm trying if it becomes the replacement for that true calling to home then we can never really really deeply rest there either might be that we're looking for our refuge in our roles yes I'm a I'm a meditation teacher. This is one of my roles. Right? I'm a Dharma teacher. If I'm looking for my refuge here, if I'm looking for my home here, I'm going to be disappointed because I'll need it to stay the same. I'll need it to be when you've all gone on Monday and I go home and I still need to be a meditation teacher and no one's answering my questions anymore or whatever it might be. It's like... Right? You know, when we're thrown out of our roles, if you probably all of you have many roles mother, lover, daughter, son. And we can be ambivalent about our roles, but there's still a way we're very attached to them, such that when we come here and they're not being reflected to us, we can say, Hey, I need my roles to reflect me. Somebody look at me and tell me I'm a great mum, you know. Whatever it might be. So coming somewhere like here is a big letting go. We are letting go of the familiar place where we look for refuge. It can be in our home, in our minds, in our roles, in our relationships. Have you ever tried to make home in your relationship? And there's nothing wrong with relationships. They can be beautiful places of learning. But they're often fraught because we want the other to make home for us. And they can't. They can't provide that ultimate lasting peace for us. They can be a friend. So, Have you ever had the experience you want your partner or your friend or whoever it is some significant other. We think, okay, if I could really make them home, 
How would your one be? Your designer, designer other, right? And probably we've got some similar things that we'd look for, right? You probably want them to be, I don't know. You can put your hand up if you want, want these things. Perfectly attuned to your needs. <laughs> right? Yeah, okay. Perfectly, um, hmm, perfectly, perfectly reflecting all of your good qualities. <laughs> right? Where in that moment when you wake up in the morning and you... And they recognize, yes, you are the most lovely, beautiful, (laughs) wise, compassionate being. And we're laughing because we kind of know it's true. Tell me that. Because on one level, we are a beautiful, wise, compassionate being. There's a truth in that. There's a truth in that. We may not have felt it today yet, right? We see all the obscurations. We are that. But needing the other to make that home for us, they can't do it. Firstly, they don't do it, (laughs) right? Even if you trained them for a while. (laughs) We still found wanting. It's like, I'll get real with you, you know. Still found wanting, still feel thirsty, Actually, often what we're really wanting there is the perfect mother, right? Some healing that we need there, which is relevant and okay. But in terms of release, in terms of the path, in terms of what's being pointed to, it isn't about finding home and experience, Because we can't, because the experience keeps changing. It's not reliable. Even if I got that one trained there for a while, they change. If we're real, if we change, we keep changing. It's not their job to give us home. They can't. And and at some point, we will be parted from them, our roles, our home. There's a reflection in the tradition that the monks and nuns do regularly just to really remind us of that even if we have some very beautiful things in our life, it's not to dismiss any of that. There are beautiful things in this world. But the reflection is from all that is currently dear and precious to me, One day I will be parted. So from all that is currently dear and precious to me, I will one day be parted. Right? So where's our home? Other place we try find home is our body. It's not very successful either in terms of an ultimate refuge. Right? We... I don't know where this one's going in the end. Sometimes when we're young, feels like we could make home here for a little while. 
I was noticing at lunch in the staff dining room today, I've joined the ranks of that point in, in life where I used to kind of remark at older people when they got together and, as I think it's Ram Das talks about, they get together and have an organ recital, right? Start talking about which bits don't work anymore and, uh, yeah, and I need a bit of that with this, and right? And I've joined the ranks. There I was with someone at lunch. Yeah, right, I've got that as well. And, yeah, This body, at some point, whether it happens to us sooner or later, it has, it's part of the nature of things. It's not its, it's, not its job to be the ultimate refuge. And we know that intellectually, but we really, really need to know that. And we keep getting woken up to that, probably every time we look in the mirror as well. That's why in the Buddhist tradition, um, these reflections on death and impermanence are part of the practice to support us to wake up. It's like, wake up to what's here. You're trying to make home in body, in mind, in feelings, in roles, in relationships, in things, possessions. It's not in the nature, it's not a cruel mistake. This world is an extraordinary place. But it's not its job to provide us with that deep peace by clinging to the things we want and pushing away the things we don't. So some of you have probably noticed, if you've been in the walking room, we have an ally. So this walking room next door here, I I haven't been in this week, but I imagine he's still there, is uh, he's he's new. He's new to Guy House, came, I think, in the autumn sometime. And if you haven't been in yet, and you'd like to, we have our very own human skeleton. Some of you haven't been there yet, by the sounds of it. And he's sitting, cross-legged, like, I know, two-thirds of us here. And he's bent, cross-legged, and he's bones. He's not really he anymore. His bones. And if you like, if you feel interested or curious or that it's relevant for you, that this is a place you do want to explore in practice, don't take yourself in there if it just terrifies you. You don't have to push yourself. But if you're curious, what is it to really contemplate that reality? Sit with him. Sit in front of it. Breathe. See how you're impacted. It can be very powerful, actually, and it can really cut through some of our ambivalence, actually. We try and make home in experience, or sometimes we go to the other extreme, which is where we get so disillusioned, we so realize that there's nothing I can really rest upon. Some people go to the other extreme and take their life. Can't make home here, so I'm out of here. Right? 
The Buddhist teaching isn't about that either. It's a middle way. It's always a middle way between the extremes of our of our mind. That there is a refuge, the Buddha took, calls it the supreme security, that is pointed to, that is realizable, but it's not through getting the right experiences together. It's not through having the best mind or the loveliest experience or the best heart or the best partner or household. Right? All that's subject to change. So there's a story that's told, some of you will know very well, of the Buddha and one of uh, a person at the time. This is in North India, um, <coughs> 2,000, almost 600 years ago. And the person's name was Angulimala. And he, at some point, from having been a bright student somewhere along the line of, you know, of the intellect, um, got into some weird things, to say the least. And he had some pact going with his teacher, which was of a different kind of teaching, where um, his task was to get a thousand, I think it's little fingers, of the right hands of a thousand different people. So you can tell he's into some peculiar things here. So he was this fearsome criminal, right? At first he realized it wasn't, it wasn't that easy just to get the little finger. So he actually had to kill them to get the little finger. And so he became very adept at getting his victims, and etc., etc. And he was a scary guy. It's really a scary guy. And the story goes that the Buddha was walking in the same forest as where Angulimala, who was on his 999th, he just needed one more to complete the task. And the name Angulimala is, he didn't have anywhere to put the fingers, so he made them into a necklace and strung them round his neck. So it's pretty gruesome. And he had one more to get, and he saw the Buddha. He didn't know he was the Buddha. He thought, great, there's my victim. So off he goes, chasing after, and the Buddha is still walking, but quite slowly and serenely, and due to his emanation and powers, Angulimala just can't catch up with him. He just can't get there, right? There's the promise of his solution. Can't get there. And he goes, stop! Shouts, stop, to the Buddha. And the Buddha turns around and faces him and said, I have already stopped. It is you who has not stopped. So something that the Buddha is pointing to there, that something has already stopped. And what has stopped, what has ceased, (coughs) is that constant craving for the, the right thing, for home, the craving for that in experience. He stopped, and we can stop. 
doesn't mean our mind stops thinking. That's what we think at first, right? Okay, I want it all to stop. Stop the world. I want to get off. Right? Okay, come to meditation. I know it will be better when my mind stops. I've been here a whole day and my mind hasn't stopped. Right? Why isn't my mind stopping? And we shout at our mind and we twist our mind. We do everything we can. And it doesn't stop. Now, there are times when the mind can stop thinking in some certain deep states of meditation. But it's also the nature of a thinking mind that it thinks and it comes back again. So stopping the mind isn't the point here. The stopping is something of a different order. It's the stopping, the recognition of the movement of craving and aversion and really understanding them, really understanding that they keep promising us when I get that thing, I'm still amazed at the mind's uh, hope. You know, I, a couple of years ago, we were getting a new floor. We had this plastic, inherited a plastic floor from the previous people, and we were going to get a wood floor. And I could see my mind going, when that wood floor's down... I didn't probably ever finish the sentence, but there's that fantasy of when the wood floor's down, as if... That's when life can begin, right? That's when I can be at peace. It's such a strong habit. It's such a strong momentum. Whether it's our flaw or whether we, we have to think we have to sort ourselves out. When I fixed that neurosis, and maybe we don't even have to fix that either. Not in the way that we think. So when we get uh, sufficiently stopped in our tracks, so here's Angulimala, he gets stopped in his tracks. (coughs) And the story continues that he was so impressed by this man, the Buddha, (coughs) that there and then he stopped, not final liberation, not final awakening, but he stopped enough to say, wow, there's something I don't understand here. He bowed and he asked for refuge. So I want to study with you. I want to find out. And he became a disciple of the Buddha. And despite all the horrendous activity of his the momentum of his mind, he stopped. He awakened to the deepest truth. Didn't mean people liked him, right? Sometimes we think home's going to be when everyone likes me. You'll keep waiting a long time, right? Not everyone liked the Buddha. People certainly didn't like Angulimala. Even after he'd stopped, doesn't mean that we're going to get together a really, really... Fantastic set of conditions where everyone's going to like me. doesn't mean they're not going to like you. But if we're looking for our refuge there, we're going to be twisting ourselves and shaping ourselves. How is it I can be pleasing to you? Right? And we kind of manipulate ourselves into something and we leave home again and again and again.
So when there's a sufficient divine disillusion, it's different than um, it's different than just wanting to quit the show here. Sometimes that might arise. But the deeper inspirational aspiration is, okay, there's something I don't get yet. Even though the conventional view that the world shows me is that if I could just get these things together, then I'd be happy. Other people look like that's what happens. Hasn't exactly worked for me. That there's enough recognition that we're willing to step out of the normal way of trying to find the comfort where we're mistaking the the freedom and the comfort and the security of liberation, mistaking it for physical comfort. So as we leave home in the tradition, as the monks and nuns came to the Buddha for teaching, what is said is that they left the householder's life and entered the homeless life. And they did that physically, right? They left the home life. They shaved their heads, they put on their robes, and they entered the homeless life. They went forth into the homeless life. We may not be monks and nuns, but there's an inner movement that may mirror that. We recognize, okay, all the places I've gone for refuge, some of them have been great, but they haven't given me that that rest that my heart so deeply seeks. And metaphorically, we leave the entrancement with experience being the place for home, and we set forth into the homeless life. Coming here is that gesture you aren't surrounded by the familiar places that you go for refuge, which, as one of my teachers used to say, I have to back up a little bit if you're new. In the Buddhist tradition, the refuges are a practice, and traditionally we go for refuge to the Buddha, to the Dharma, and the Sangha. I might say a little bit more at some point. It's called the triple jewel. Right? It's part of support, part of the support of when we leave the enchantment, the enticement, the promise, we actually need secure refuges. We need to find refuge, even if we don't have faith in awakening yet. There's something, we're kind of in a no-man's land of like, oh goodness, all my familiar refuges aren't here. Where can I rest? Where can I breathe out? Where can I find security? Where can I... And there's a practice of taking refuge which is very important and significant, where we can rest, actually. Even if we're not fully awake yet, we can learn how to rest in something more reliable, something more timeless, something more... um, that isn't so battered by the, the winds of whether I'm happy or sad or whether I'm... Someone's loving me or hating me. We can take refuge in the Buddha Dharma Sangha. 
But until we really make that transition into that the, the spiritual life becomes something important for us, one of my teachers used to say, the triple jewel of the West is the refrigerator, the television, and I can't remember what he said, this is 20 years ago, but now it's probably the mobile phone, right? It's where we go for refuge. Because we're always going for refuge somewhere. We're always looking for shelter somewhere. And it's funny now when I go back to my mum's in South London, maybe there's more mobile phones there than in this little village, where I, a town where I live here. And I walk down the street and, I don't know, three quarters of the people are um, wedded, bonded in some way to their phone. And it is a kind of a refuge, a kind of security. I mean, sure, they might need to make a call. There's no problem with that. But I notice myself walking without a phone, feeling a little bit naked. It's kind of like a little vulnerable. It's like, oh, open for contact. It's kind of, it's a little bit open. It's a little bit vulnerable. We like to have those, those refuges, whatever they are, to assuage or try to soothe that vulnerability, that openness of this human organism that we are, this human animal. It's a very open thing we are. I'll show you this, I think. So we're coming near to the end of the time. So we had this in our house. It's a little booklet um, by Ajahn Chah, who is... He looks pretty stern in that picture, but he's um, one of the most beloved of the Thai forest masters from the Thai tradition. Um, so from the lineage that is one of the feeding lineages of, of this place. And this little booklet's called Our Real Home. And it's his teaching that he's giving to a woman, disciple, student of his, a laywoman, who's dying and he's offering her and giving her the teachings with love and kindness of as her everything she's taken to be home. And in this case, the body, the body is starting to die. He's saying this is the place you can also wake up. Right? And inviting us that we don't have to wait till then either. It can happen now. So I think I'll finish with just a reflection on the refuges from the tradition. 
At this stage in the retreat, so we're 20, just over 24 hours in, the kind of initial, I don't know, excitement, hope, whatever it was, probably changed, right? It's not the end yet. We're not near the end where we can see the end has its own kind of release. And where we're kind of getting toward the middle point. Where one of the things that we're confronted with really is our, as Stephen was saying in that beginning quote, the momentum of our own minds. We may feel like the shore of Sure, S-H-O-R-E, the sure of our familiar world, our home, our family, our loved ones, our cat, our um, whatever it is, that can be beautiful and nourishing and rich for us. But it may feel that, well, I'm not there. I'm kind of in this, I've kind of, the boat's kind of come off the shore. I'm in this place called Gaia House, and I'm sitting and I'm walking, I'm not sure why yet. And I haven't reached the other shore, which either is full enlightenment or Monday, right? depending on what comes first. I haven't reached the other shore, and we kind of can sometimes feel like our moorings have changed. Anyone feel like their moorings are a little kind of shifted? The regular moorings, the things that I'm usually moored to. So I offer this refuge practice because... It can sometimes sound very scary. Okay, so the, the, you know, the, the cutting through the wisdom teaching is, yeah, there isn't a security in the way of grasping experience, the way of having something. That's not security because it's like sand. It, it comes out your fingers, right? And sometimes we can go, oh, my God, and we can get scared and terrified. You know, we might see the skeleton and think, oh, my God, what am I doing here? Where's the jacuzzi? You know, where's, where's that kind of retreat? And that's fine. Those kind of retreats are great. It's not about terrifying us. It really isn't about trying to, to wire our nervous system anymore or you know, press the panic button. It really isn't. It's about, as we're making the journey, to find the true and lasting more abiding refuges that can take us to the other shore. Rather than investing in the refuges that um, slip through our fingers. What is a reliable refuge that can take us to the other shore? And the other shore actually is a, meta- is a metaphor in the tradition for awakening. And awakening isn't something esoteric or... Um, Unhuman. Sometimes people can think of the Buddha as something superhuman. He was a guy. He was a guy who was confused and not satisfied. And he'd got his worldly refuges pretty much sussed. Right? He had a great house, in fact, one for every season, correct temperature. He was a prince. He had all the best pleasures you can get. Lovely family, the whole lot. Doesn't get much better. He was beautiful as well, you know. One of those that had it all. Right? And yet something in the heart was longing. Something in the heart wasn't satisfied. He was a guy. He was an ordinary guy. So this path of awakening is a human path. It's not a superhuman path. It's a human path. 
So what is the reliable refuge? A more abiding, timeless raft that can take us to the other shore. So the reflection on um, taking refuge in the Buddha, it's, I'm not asking you to um, sign up <laughs> sign up and take refuge here. I'm offering this. Um, and we can see the refuge is both in the very Buddhist context, right? It's the traditional Buddhist offering of the raft that can take us to the other shore. Um, but it's much more than that. The truth of reality, of course, is never defined completely by any map no matter how brilliant that map is. So the refuge in the Buddha is that we're we're placing our... that movement in us to wish for home, to wish for peace, to, to know that something's possible. We place that in the possibility of awakening. Buddha literally means awake, the one that is awake awake to reality, awake to the true nature of things, not how they appear, like it appears like we're separate and it appears like this mind is telling me the truth. And There's lots of ways it appears. But he's awake, she's awake, Buddha is awake to the complete picture. We can take refuge in that, that there is awakening. It's a, a timeless knowing of our nature. The second jewel is the jewel of the Dhamma. In the Buddhist context, that means the teachings of the Buddha. Those particular set of teachings, they're a raft, they're a map. They're something to use and handle and be supported by. Beyond the Buddhist context, the Dharma is the way things are. It literally means the truth of things, the truth of the nature of things. Take refuge there. You can really reliably come into contact with the way things are, right? Because it's the way things are. You can be pretty reliably bet your bottom dollar that things are going to change, right? We can take refuge in these more timeless truths. And the third jewel of the refuge in the Sangha, the refuge in beings who have walked the path, beings who have done the work, who've followed the map, that there's something that we can recognize in each other, there's ways we can be reflections for each other as Sangha, and teachers and masters and the whole lineages, the lineages that speak of wisdom and compassion. We can take refuge. When it, we're practicing and it's all falling apart and we're wondering what's going on and this can't be how it's supposed to be, we go speak to someone who's practiced or a wise being and they go, yep, that's right, that's right. So it's not, not supposed to be like this, right? We can be guided, supported. So I'm going to end um, this like a semicolon, I think. Kind of like just 
moving into this theme here, semicolon, and I'll end, I'll chant the refuges with you, for those who want to do it, Um, and this is the place, yeah, where we can rest upon, if we wish, whether we conceive it in a Buddhist context or not. So I'm going to chant the ver- the the, ver- the the refuges have always got the same words, but there's different melodies, and it's in the original language, and the words mean I take refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Dharma, I take refuge in the Sangha, and then for a second time I take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, and then for a third time I take refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Don't worry if you don't get the gist. It's a foreign language, a new tune, and maybe a completely new concept. You can just let it in if you like. Right? So I'm going to chant the one, those of, who, of you who know that we, the melody that we, that we use with Reb. Anyone who's sat with Reb? Reb Anderson. Bhutang Saranga Chami Dhammang Saranga Chami Sangam Saranga Chami Dutiampi Bhutang Saranga Chami Dutiampi Dhammam Saranga Chami Dutiampi Sangam Saranga Chami Tatiampi Bhutang Saranga Chami Tatiampi Dhammam Saranga Chami Tatiampi Sangam Saranga Chami Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.